This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. A topic that we thought needed addressed is what we're going to handle this week. Try to, again, keep it short and sweet. About a week or so ago, TCG players sent out an email that seemed innocent enough at first, but is probably going to have a fairly decent impact. And that was that they were, for the first time in 15 years or whatever it is since they've been around, they're revising their fee structures. Uh, so that's that's what we're going to talk about, how we feel about it, what the impact could be, etc. And mm-hmm. let's uh, get it started then. Right. So uh, the, the general change to the face structure is, uh, as seen here on the TCG Player site, this article went up on the 25th, a couple of uh, days, maybe one or two after the actual uh, emails went out. And you can see there are three levels of sellers on TCG Player, two of which have a change in face structure. The pro slash sync sellers are now seeing a flat 925, and the TCG Player direct sellers are now seeing... 8.95. So what isn't changing that people th- might have thought was changing? Well, that is the fee for your general jack uh, backpacker. Levels 1 through 4, uh, somebody like myself who is a level 4 store because I didn't want to go direct, sits at a 10.25% uh, fee structure, which also includes the PayPal on top of uh, credit card processing and one other part because PayPal leverages like three stages of fees on you. So for somebody like me, this doesn't change anything, but for a larger vendor or somebody who has more stock relies on TCG Player Direct, much like somebody doing fulfillment by Amazon would rely on Amazon, this affects a large part of their business. And this, as far as the pro and sync traders, this one's a little interesting because their fees were a little more all, uh, all over the place. Yeah. Uh, if you look back at the product types that are listed now, there's singles, sealed, and supplies. Well, for these people, uh, these guys, the people who are using Crystal Commerce, that is uh, the sync version where you can just sync your prices, and Pro, which I believe covers Bidwicket and some portion of the uh, Crystal Commerce users, yeah. their, ski- their fee schedule looked a little bit like this, where it was 7.75 for singles and a shipping commission, and then sealed supplies had a 2.27% fee structure. Yep. And this is the kind of thing where I forgot that one people sold sealed on TCG Player because I generally don't get mine there when I'm buying a single box or a case. The second is that they have supplies. That yeah. is kind of news to me, just like they're now selling Dragon Ball. Yeah. <laughs> so for an end user like me... This doesn't change a whole lot on the day-to-day, but that's because I don't have experience on the side that's actually going to see a lot of change. Yeah, the the biggest thing that I've noticed is, you know, the direct sellers. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fee structure for direct sellers used to be awful. Uh, it was, you know, you had your flat credit card, uh, you had your 30-cent fee, you had a sliding fee based on the price of the item, mm-hmm. uh, which was... It, it was structured such that if you sold a card for less than $3 through the direct program, you would lose money if it wasn't in large volume. 
uh, or if like your RI was out of order or something like that. Uh, the thing that's particularly interesting is that now that applies to sealed as well for direct sellers. Mm -hmm. uh, so we also, unfortunately, direct sellers used to have the flat 2.75 for sealed, even if it didn't sell through. So now, and something that's worth noting in this uh, link is that all sales on the marketplace, whether or not they're through direct, will be at an 8.95% commission if you're an active member of the TCG Player Direct program. So a lot of the larger TCG vendors were moving, you know, large amounts of uh, sealed product through TCG because at a 3% commission, it made sense yeah. for you to do that. Uh, and now that that's going up to a 9%, I imagine that some of those larger vendors may start dropping boxes over to Amazon mm -hmm. where you can sell them for way more. And you know before you do anything, like when you set your price, Amazon tells you how much you're getting after all of the fees. Mm -hmm. um, the other interesting thing about this is that for anyone that's ever participated as a seller in the direct program, one of the most frustrating things in the world is that you would see a card was direct eligible and you would throw it up there and you would think, all right, great. It's direct eligible. It's going to be in an RI. I can just go from there, but it wouldn't sell direct. So then you had this weird problem for some vendors where they would have a direct inventory and a non-direct inventory. And it was like managing two stores huh. because you only wanted the cards that were eligible for direct that were in the right fee structure for you to be selling them under direct yep. to be in that inventory. And the cards that weren't, you would want elsewhere. Uh, you know, for example, Anointed Procession was one that a couple weeks ago, I think TCG Low was about $12. Well, direct low was 19. So you would move that over to the direct inventory, obviously, mm -hmm. and it would be subject to a different fee structure. So this being a bit more universal, I actually think makes it easier to sell singles as a direct seller. Okay. Because you have one commission mm -hmm. that you pay on singles, and that's it. Uh, you don't have to do the math individually for anything. It's a flat 8.95 instead of sliding fee, credit card fee, processing fee, commission. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be very, very good for the larger scale buyers. I think that, like you touched on, you know, that the fact that by and large it doesn't affect backpackers, I don't think there's going to be a significant impact on singles prices because of this. I I don't think so either, and that was really kind of the call to arms was that when a lot of these numbers were unknown, was like, what is this going to do to the backpackers because this is the first time TCG has upped their commission, like they said, in, in, yeah. in four or so years, and what we saw floating around was really just the header of the article in the first two paragraphs. The information mm -hmm. contained within was not there, but it's interesting to see that they want to standardize their fees for direct because I thought that was always uh, something that going on behind the scenes and I honestly forgot about the sync option for Crystal Commerce I just yeah. I thought it was the same fees as direct because most of the people that use Crystal Commerce like Channel Fireball are large enough that they're going direct anyway so why wouldn't they be subjected to those fees instead of their own series especially when Neither Crystal Commerce nor TCG Player really work on the sync to make sure it 
is palatable. Yeah. You know, the so. the other thing is, uh, with this, there's been no change on Crystal Commerce's part for mm -hmm. what their fee structure is going to be. They still take the 3% or whatever. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I was one of those people that at first I was like, man, if they really, like, up all of their fees, you know, all of a sudden places like sick deals become the de facto marketplace yeah because you know at the time level one through four was a 10.25 and i'm like well, what are they going to do kick it up to 15 mm -hmm. and there was a lot of outrage over like oh you know you blah we're not going to make as much money prices are going to go up vendors are going to pay less blah 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 and i think that you know they hats off to tcg player for giving doom and gloom at least that's what everyone thought and then two days later, they were like, no, 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 it's okay. Here it is. Yeah. Uh, Wizards should do that. Just throwing yeah, that out there. <laughs> we're, we're treating businesses like businesses, and they're going to pay their fair share now, too. And the sync guys are going to catch up as well. And it doesn't really affect the individuals, which is kind of what the platform was made for to begin with. You yeah. want to be an individual on there and sell some stuff out of your collection to help monetize playing the game? Keep doing it. You're going to hit some more fees, but you're just kind of you're going to float along, basically. Yeah. And I, I like that a little bit, the, the, mainly because I'm not affected by the fee structure. Something I joked about over the weekend before I actually saw the final numbers was I was talking with somebody in my LGS who's moving into Dragon Ball, and we were talking about buying uh, Dragon Ball singles on TCG Player because he's making... That game's super cheap. So yeah, a lot of his absurd. so a lot of his orders are for cards that cost you know cents on the dollar, and he's putting together maybe twenty to forty dollars worth of orders for two decks. And I mentioned that there are some vendors out there that basically list everything they have on TCG Player, even at three cents. That card is on there at TCG Player. Stuff like that might disappear from the marketplace, and I wouldn't be surprised that you can't buy yeah. a non-foil Stormcrow or Welcome Turn on TCG Player anymore because small inventory like that now being subjected to a flat you know, 9% fee instead of the scaling shipping... What do they call it? Uh, shipping replacement fee. Yeah. It, you know, you're going to lose more... You might not lose more on that card overall, but you might have to raise your prices to the point where people just aren't going to care anymore. TCG yeah. Player doesn't have the same kind of algorithms that eBay and Amazon use where more the more people that look at your auctions or your store, the higher you are, the, the more frequently you get the button, so to speak. Yeah. You can't game it like that. I, I'm not sure what powers the direct button, but I know it's not just having a wide inventory. So it, that'll be interesting to see, but I don't think that affects really anybody. That's more... It, on either side, the buyer or the seller. You know, if these guys have to pull down some of their cards because it doesn't make sense to host them on direct anymore, then so be it. Nobody was out there buying them to begin with. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting was they're starting to include sealed product and their bonus bucks, which oh yeah, I yeah. think may actually be pretty good for driving sealed sales to TCG. You know, one of the big things obviously you know you could win a box at a gp sell it to whatever vendor is paying either 50 or 75 dollars depending on what set it is mm -hmm. i think current buy list for core 20 is 50 Makes sense. uh where the spark is 65 Seven. and okay. dom is 75 um i just think it's interesting that people may actually start buying these more or saving for when these promotions happen mm -hmm. you know i i for one you know i it's all memes, so I save my kickback credit 
for large-scale mountain goats. Um, I know some people that save their kickback credit and they'll stockpile it all year long and then buy a duel or something. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, giving, giving this option of people that like, hey, you know, I want to buy some sealed product and sit on it. Uh, I'm going to do it during a kickback, and all of a sudden, my $90 box becomes $81 because I've got 10% back. Yeah. And I think that that is also something that, admittedly, is good for sellers and buyers. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's interesting that compared to some of the other sales platforms out there, uh, TCG seems to actually be doing something smart for both sides. I. I agree with that, and the the reason I like Sealed as an example of that is because it's direct competition to a marketplace that already does kickbacks, eBay. Mm. Yeah. And what you see a lot of times on eBay is because not a lot of large stores operate through eBay and offer a lot of large stock items. Uh, they will up their prices by whatever the per, their kickback percent is to basically make the item cost the same. I, yeah. I don't see that happening on TCG Player, and because there's the barrier to enter as a vendor on TCG Player is so low, you're still going to be able to find those deals where kickback the, the kickbacks on TCG Player put downward pressure on the market in regards to pricing for seals during times of kickback. But it also gives people the ability to leverage two different platforms for kickbacks like that, combined with a credit card that I, that gives some form of cashback, buying on on more than one marketplace now because that that is a lost market share that they've now reclaimed yeah. makes it a lot more palatable to buy more than one box, save your kickbacks on both places and continue buying and operating that way. Either, you know, saving up like you mentioned or stumbling into a large amount of cards for speculation because you just have kickback money sitting there. Yeah. You know, uh, that's actually something I didn't think about at all. So it's a, it's nice. Um, I think it kind of segues us into our second point about this, which was overall the changes that are being made. Do you think it's good for the economy, the magic economy? So I, I think it is, especially, I mean, any, any time you take some of the confusion out of mm -hmm. being a seller, it's great. Yeah. Uh, anytime you add that transparency for the buyers, it's also great. Not that everyone's going to read it, obviously, but you know, I, I don't know how many times I've explained to someone like, Look, I'm only going to give you this much on this card because I eat this much in fees. Yeah. I have to pay someone this much an hour to condition, list, whatever. I have to pay this someone this much an hour so that they can pull it from inventory, package it, everything else. And I think that putting that information out there is good. And I think that, you know, especially being transparent about what you want that money to do uh, and what type of programs you're rolling out that incentivize buyers and sellers is good. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, like we agreed at the end of the day, it's going to have an almost zero impact on prices. I, I, and I think that is the best part about the whole thing. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I would much rather by and large prices are great right now. I don't think they need to change. Uh, the magic economy is in a really good spot. Mm -hmm. One of the best spots it's been in a while. So I think that this was just very good. I, all around. Yep, I, I think it's a good change. The initial outlook was that TCG Player is doing this because they're not making enough money or they need additional revenue for something or part of the business was failing, so this is a way to, to prop it up, which kind of links back to point one. And I don't think that's the case at all, now seeing the fee structure and where they're putting things. If the business was failing or they needed additional income for X, Y, or Z, that was 
integral to the business, then they would have applied this fee increase to, or commission increase to all three levels of sellers, not just Sync slash Crystal Commerce and TCG Player Direct. By actually treating companies like companies now and increasing their fee to kind of catch up to the little guy, they're kind of saying that there's enough business in those two locations that these people can now be treated correctly. And yeah. TCG Direct is only a few years old. Remember yeah. that. It, it was only announced a handful of years ago. So there's enough traffic at the, the pro or whatever it is. Yeah, pro slash sync level and direct level now where they can start making legitimate capital off of this and start increasing the, the number of solutions they offer through development. It could be hardware with the Nexus or the in-store... Uh, like tablet that they have, yeah, like those, the kiosks or the kiosks, whatever. Yep, uh, yeah, which was dem they were demoed at, at Gamma. Like those took overhead capital, and it it could just be platform development that this money is going to go into. So my, I think this is good because, like I said, there's, they now see that these services are beneficial to the company. They're not really going to lose anything by increasing these fees. If they lose a handful of vendors, they either might flip over to the regular store to disappear at all. That's not going to change their bottom line. But overall, they're going to increase revenue and development, which is something they talked about in the announcement. That's what I believe, because that's what I think this, they're trying to do is corner the free market. Yeah. And to do that, they need to keep innovating and keep ahead. There are a lot of people that don't understand development cycles and how development works. And if you stay stagnant, you're going to fall behind. Just because you're the biggest, the best now doesn't mean in six months, 12 months, 18, you still will be unless you keep innovating in your space. Yeah. And this is going to allow them to do that. So yep. I applaud the effort, and I applaud the transparency, and I don't think this goes into uh, effect for another month. So this might not have been the best time to make the announcement, maybe somewhere between MH1 and now, so people kind of got ahead of it and could expect it in that lull where we didn't just have a pre-release. Yeah. That's a little iffy, but by and large, I think everything about this it is great no matter who you are. And I, I think, too, it's indicative, like, so a few, I guess it's been about two years ago now, uh, TCG, and I thought that was, was would have a pretty big impact, uh, they went after Scott Elliott. So Scott Elliott, uh, at the time, had been in charge of Gen Con expansion. Okay. And over the course of five years, he took it from, you know, Gen Con to selling out two consecutive years in a row. And they brought him in so that he could be in charge of product growth for TCG Player. Uh, and he started working with vendors, getting direct feedback. Hey, what works for you? And yep. it wasn't just the big guys. It wasn't just your channel fireballs. He even went to, like, backpackers and some of the local guys, because uh, he's from the area I'm from, and tried to get feedback from them to get it from all levels mm -hmm. of the system. And I think that that's having that ear to the ground and wanting to be involved in that way i think is huge yeah for you know the economy at large I, because i think it's important that you know a lot of times people just lose sight of that mm -hmm. and that's it's nice to know that someone's out there like yeah no i'm gonna you know i i want this to grow i want this product to be good and it's a situation where it's clearly like mutually beneficial yeah. uh, for everyone for this product to be better. Behind the scenes, they were developing their physical scanner for I don't know how yep. long. 
when I was at uh, vending at GP Louisville the weekend before they announced uh, the ma- the first masterpieces. Yeah. Whatever. I can't remember the the, the set that was in now at the top of my head. Not Amonkhet. Those were invocations. Kaladesh. EFC. Kaladesh. Kaladesh. The oh, actual yeah, Kaladesh, masterpieces. Yeah, actual right? masterpieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it it was Sunday. We uh, masterpieces were going to be announced Monday, but at our booth and at a few others, there was another company demoing their physical scanner. They were the first ones I saw kind of to market, and they showed us how it worked with a couple of their cards, and we we're like, all right, cool, that's dope. And then at Gen Con that next summer, TCG player, their entire booth was ran off of their physical scanner because they had the BIOS functionality now. And if you wanted to sell the TCG player, you just got in line for one of the scanners, you handed somebody their cards, and they would just scan them there for you. Like, that was done completely in the dark. The other people that were working on it made their software public. They talked about the hardware, the app integration, and TCG player just kind of blew it all out of the water within. Yeah. Uh, so that was, I think, fall, maybe. When. Uh, Kaladesh? Uh, Whatever it was. Four years ago? Three years ago? Something like that, yeah. Well, I just want if it was the fall set, then TCG. It was September. So okay. Gen Con's a summer event, right? So we're talking... Yeah, it was in August, September was Gen Con. Yeah, so we're talking nine months later, TCG players' software and hardware was in a place where they were able to run their entire booth off of it. Just under the cover of darkness, they built this thing. Yeah. So they're, they're always working, and because of things like that, that's where I assume this is going. That's why I... I'll wait not... I'll, with bated breath to see what they do next. And yeah. I, my hard... And fast feeling on this is that that's where this money is going R&D and I applaud them for that yeah uh, and I, I think that that's good you know I it's funny to see like what they do compared to you know eBay and what the feedback is like because I've never had a bad experience so far uh, with dealing with TCG customer support but when you're dealing with eBay customer support it's a nightmare most of the time. Oh yeah, it's it's almost like working with a mom and pop shop compared to a big box retail store. It's weird because they're both huge entities, but eBay is just so large. Yeah, it's out of this world. Yeah. Before we get on out of here with uh, picks, I want to spring a second topic on you. This has been my plan. Sure. So, the collector's edition card market. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> All right. So we know there is a market for these. Going into the pre-release, people were looking at the the price adjustments on MTG stocks and TCG Player, which were fairly rock solid. I mean, some of them sawtooth because whatever people were just rolling the dice and and to see what would happen. But by Saturday morning, the economy had solidified, and the economy was neither TCG Player or uh, whatever stocks was telling you, Channel Fireball, etc. And I, I have an anecdote about this and where the marketplace is, and I think I mentioned this in a uh, in a tweet. But I just have you had any experience working with this stuff yet? Oh, it's terrible. I it, I I have never seen in twenty five years dealing with this game something that more firmly is rooted in sentimental attachment and what you think the card should be worth. Mm-hmm. Than these stupid extended art storybook whatever. whatever yeah like I the market is the market is the market is the market firm believer in that I 
unabashed. It's it's worth nothing until you get rid of it. Yep. And I can't tell you how many people are like, well, on TCG it says it's worth uh, you know ninety dollars, and I'm like, well, here's here's where it's sold for way less than that. And they're like, no, I'm gonna go with TCG. I'm like, okay, that that is so infuriating for me. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Uh, that that was the one and only interaction I had to I had on Saturday where somebody was kind of unruly about the price until I had all the information in front of me and even then when presented they were still a little like well that and I applaud them for the word they said this sounds like flim flammery and somebody was not making as much money as they should <laughs> so at the end of my the first Saturday pre-release uh, somebody at uh, that event in their price pack, one a, and I've got to look at the actual chart for this, and I'll pull it up for everybody from the Reddit thread, not the, the MTG price thing, because they're still working on finalizing it. It was a borderless uh, Scions, not extended art because that's only available in in the CE stuff. Borderless, right? So I, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I can buy that. Let me text my manager real quick and see if we have numbers on these because we don't. At the time on Saturday, we don't we didn't have prices for set foils because we didn't know the rate with because of these things. Uh, none of the extended art, any of this promo stuff. We only had like non foil prices on the site. Yeah. And I, I texted him I'm like, can we buy this borderless Scions? And I sent him a photo because this is my first time seeing these cards physically, and he's been in the spoiler and everything else for the last two weeks. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And he sent he sends me a photo of the eBay completed listing, and I'm like, yeah. "All right, dude, forty bucks." And he was like, "Well, CFB and TCG player telling me this thing's three hundred, and I was just like, "You do you, my man." I got, and then I just hit my laptop as he was standing at the booth, and I've got I've got I'm like I have completed listings here on eBay for for anywhere between twenty five and forty dollars all day long, my man. This is what I can offer you, and that's yeah. when he gave me the flim flammery line, and like, kudos to him. All in all, it was a a pleasant. It, it, was, it wasn't, like, unruly, like I said before, but the Flim Flammery line really just broke the ice into, like, straight from, like, into hilarity. But the rest of the day, that, that was basically the explanation. Like, can you buy this stuff? Yes, I absolutely can, but I'm... These are all on eBay, and they're not worth what you think they are. Yeah. But that, And that's the problem I have with these. I, I don't care about the fact that everything from those CE packs are going to be devalued into the ground besides the extended art cards. Because... Yeah. And the, the cards that have the box, the buy a box promo treatment. Yeah. Those are the only two that matter, right, out of these things. Everything else is available in a regular pack. So if this is a highly draftable set, if this draft format is good, which we don't really know yet, it's not available on Arena, it's just been mono-sealed, then these things, yeah. everything else, everything else, that's borderless planeswalkers, showcase cards, at the end, right? The What yeah. people expect to be the high-ticket items, the good-looking stuff is going to be opened into the ground if this is the highly yeah. draftable set. The only things that skate by are the foil and non-foil extended art cards. Yep. Hootie who? Uh, yeah. Like, it's, you know, like I said, I've just never seen so much attachment over something. And I, I do. I I also respect the bejesus out of flim flammery. That is such a good word. It's, a, it's an amazing <laughs> word. Like, I was trying to I figure just, out all weekend long what came in what, and I forgot like the that oh, this graph that I brought up was awful. put out there, or this uh, rubric was put out there, and it, you know, I was cracking my one box yesterday, and we basically hit one of everything that we could, 
in, in my box, and I was just looking at the stack I had of um, the some borderless stuff and the showcase cards, and I was like, this is ridiculous that I have in front of me more value out of, of the box that I effectively bought for 190 than the collector's edition booster pack that costs 30 yeah. When you break it down, the ROI on the box was so much more than the... I actually have the collector's pack next to me. This is outstanding. My collector's pack was a dud beyond duds. Yeah. What is... All right. I, I have a fairy guide mother showcase that looks pretty badass. Like the little common. My rare was giant killer in showcase. I got a foil happily ever after. Ugh. My full, uh, my extended art card is Wishclaw Talisman in non-foil. The flex slide is a non-foil command tower because yeah. And then it's just the standard crap. I got a foil uncommon and foil like the rest of this set is just the rest of that package is crap. Wow. I it, I also don't know if you. I didn't see it circulating anywhere. Uh, I'll have to, I'll have to get the graph and graph and we'll tweet it out. So they actually went through and said, "Here's the odds of what you get in these packs, right?" Oh, jeez. Uh, and it was I think thirty-seven percent likelihood to have two rares, and you are more likely to have one rare than three. I beat the odds then. Yeah, you you did. Uh, that's just like how dumb how coincidence. Is, how is that the second most likely of anything you can yeah, do? That how one is that is... the one? But hey, you know what? Whatever, guys. Power, power to you. You do you. So people have been debating for a little while whether or not there's a market for this stuff, and obviously there is. But the problem is that holding onto a collector's box might not be the right option here. It might actually be a regular box. We don't have the numbers yet. People haven't crunched uh, what the rates are on opening like the showcase card the the borderless planeswalker like some of the actual money cards the extended arts because they are foil and non-foil it's, it's a little a little different and they are nice but i don't know what's going to be the money version of anything yet nobody really does yeah so because everything can be opened in multiples in a regular box that might actually be more worthwhile than holding on to the collector's edition stuff yeah, and I, I think that the general consensus from everyone I've talked to is like, end of the day, these collector booster boxes are going to settle at 250 That's going to be what it is. Hmm. And I think it's going to be, you know, similar to Beatdown. Where, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Beatdown sealed is worth a ton. But if you crack it, it's worthless because That's... nobody nobody wants it. I like have it's, it's seen just not there from revised forward, the ma every major every set in standard, a good chunk of supplementals, except for beatdown and and I can never remember the name of it, the Pegasus set, the Italian set, Salvat. Yeah, Salvat. Those are like the only two seal that I haven't seen. I've seen the Deckmasters stuff, uh, which is the the Finkel versus Garfield. Like yeah, I, I've seen that. I've. It's it's those two that I haven't seen, and oh, it doesn't surprise me that beat down sealed is worth a ton. Yeah, but I, it's, and I think that's where this is going. Is like mm -hmm. you know, it's a sealed novelty rather than a sealed collectible. Yeah, I, I think. Whereas like collector's edition is a sealed collectible that's going to appreciate. Yeah, 
I don't think the collector's boosters continue to appreciate after a certain point. They're just done. No, but at least it isn't that the full-blown arena product. It's like the 450 yeah. for a binder and some arena codes. That thing is hot garbo. Uh, yeah, I just that's wanted, bad. I wanted to bring that up because I figured I could get you a little hot under the collar. Yeah, <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so cool you off. We'll move in, a, in the picks. Yeah. So <clears throat> my pick for this week comes on the heels of the uh, sets, the set releases that we talked about earlier, and then going through some specs. And with Theros coming up, I think Herald of the Pantheon is a place that you might want to be. Uh, I don't know how many to move in on yet. I've got a bunch from just playing Origins and trading uh, from people picking this up as, you know, dirt. Yeah. It's 50 cents for the set. It does have a commander printing in 2018. So it's not like there's a ton more in circulation than there was in Origins, which was a well open set. Yeah. So. JVP. Yep. It was a, not a bad core set for that. It actually had to find a, the Jeskai deck because you had Stoke the Flames, you had JVP, yeah. there was Court of Calling in there. Like It was a very good set for that standard. Yeah. Green didn't get a whole lot of enchantment support for EDH out of Theros the first time around, but now that we're actually moving into the Underworld, this is a place where I think we do see a lot of support for this card coming from Green. It still lines up with our Enchantress theme, that we talked about in that episode because this, it, while it's not, this isn't an enchantress directly. This is a CMC reducer for your enchantments, which I don't think believe. Uh, sorry, which I don't think exists outside of Cloudstone Key. I don't think so. Oh uh, no. Does Helm of not Helm of the Hosts champ? Uh, Helm, Helm of Awakening does, but it makes one. everything cheaper. Yeah, so, so it's dicey. Yeah. If there is, there aren't many. I looked this up the other day, and it's just there's not a lot of this going around. So this becomes, if the support is there for uh, green X enchantment decks, not in standard, but in EDH, this brings a few more tools to the table, then I think that's where this card goes up. So this is like a speculative speculation. Yeah. And for 50 cents, if I didn't own as many copies as I did, this is where I'd probably move in on maybe 10 to 20 pretty easily. It's a very low-cost investment that should see dividends shortly after Theros releases. Yeah. This card does have the opportunity to see a reprint in Theros. It's a, it's a creature. It's not an enchantment itself. So there is that opportunity. But again, because the en- the barrier to entry on this is so low at 10 to 20 copies, I think this is a fine spec to pick up in hopes that it is supported in Theros. And yeah. if you lose out in the end at Theros, it's still a fine long-term hold because they're still going to make enchantments. You know, this isn't going to be a theme that isn't supported until the end of time. This yeah. is a card that makes your gods cheaper if you're playing those in, th- in EDH as well. Like I said, it's not well supported right now because there isn't a whole lot of enchantments to play. So this is kind of a, a hopeful speculation in a place I wouldn't mind being if I didn't already have my copies. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely, you know... Sim- Similar to like I said a couple weeks ago about Collected Company. It's the type of thing that as the game goes on, it's only going to get better and better because they're only going to print more and more cards that support it. Like, that's just inevitable. That's, you know, we're not going to not have enchantments. Exactly. We're not going to not have theme sets where, you know, oh, we want to deal with all this type of card and that's our thing. Yeah. Like, that's 
inevitable for wizards at this yeah. point. It's going to happen. So the one thing this does not have going for it is its transition into constructed play for older formats. It only has two defense, and it dies to fatal push, bolt, path yeah. to exile, swords push, everything. This is never going to make a run into competitive like Helm of the Awakening would. Yeah, just because it is a very weak card type with a very weak set of stats. But as an enabler for EDH, not that difficult. No, definitely, so. definitely solid there. Um, I went a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So of course, rotations happening. Everyone's, you know, what do I pick up at rotation? Blah blah blah. I honestly uh, thought your card came from like old border error when you just put out the first name when you when I asked for your pick and you're just the first yeah. name of this card. I was like, what? This, where is this from? Yeah. So uh, I am going for Kopala Warden of Waves. So, you know, it's obviously a Merfolk legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2-2 for Mixalon for 3. Uh, anything that targets Merfolk you control costs 2 more. So a lot of decks just run Kira Great Glass Spinner in this spot in, like, EDH, for example. Or not EDH, sorry, Modern, modern because yeah. it just counters like that's just better yep um the reason i went for kapala is edh casual okay uh we had the most merfolk support we've seen since lorwin mm-hmm. uh in ixalan and i think that anytime we get tribal support like that it boosts the profile of a tribe yes. now by no means do i think kapala is a better general than kumina for example who is obviously just absurd is talrand but, a merfolk yeah talrand I as think well that he's tier one yeah <laughs> uh it's just that this is the type of thing that i think the next time we get a merfolk push mm-hmm. which admittedly may be a few years uh i very easily see this going from 30 cents to in the hype once it's spoiled that oh we're going back it'll okay. shoot up to like four to five dollars just based on that alone i think that's so, a reasonable reasonable place to put this card uh similar to you know when morph came out there was uh a fedo it's the one from onslaught a fedo runecaster i think maybe uh that shot up from you know being basically yeah uh from scourge actually whenever a creature is turned face up you may draw a card it went from being a bulk uncommon of like 15 cents to four to five dollars. Uh, the foils went from being, you know, four bucks to 15 to 20. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the spot that Kapala falls into. And I think that, you know, tribal is something that they can always revisit. They can oh, yeah. always go back. It's popular in a commander product. It's the type of thing that doesn't take a lot for them to say, you know what, we're going to go, you know, our themes this year are graveyard, non-basics, and whatever are the different decks, and they can throw Merfolk into a couple of them. Yeah, there are a lot of Merfolk floating around this game through the entirety of the history of this game. And, you know, you just incidentally end up with a very good Merfolk tribal commander, you know? Yeah. Obviously, Thrasios is probably the best commander, period. He's a merfolk. We may end up with a tribal merfolk commander that occupies a similar space in terms of power level. And I think that, you know, at 40 to 50 cents, uh, Kopala protects itself. Mm-hmm. It's on curve for what you'd want for a lord. Yep. 
effect more or less i just think you know it's a solid pickup you know 20 of them for eight bucks and then just throw them in a box wait until the next tribal thing happens and all of a sudden boom you've walked into money yeah i like that i was just checking the uh, taking a look at the uh the list of merfolk that exist at the legendary slide and there's some in here i just completely forgot about like sig yeah well yes obviously he's a merfolk but it, it was more like Jorien, Ruin Diver, I forgot was a merfolk. Oh, yeah. Well, I always thought there was I, uh, something definitely else. Definitely did too. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of stuff. I honestly forgot Tatiova was a merfolk. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's been a lot of support recently and there are a lot of people who just like playing their tribal decks in EDH. I'm sure there are other merfolk that do a little bit of protecting, like not Tidebinder Mage style. Yeah, but maybe give uh, Shroud or something upon ETB. I, I honestly don't know. The only quote-unquote competitive Merfolk deck I have is from Modern, and that's just Infinite Lords. <laughs> Same thing as Legacy. Like yeah, it's Silver but you Gill don't Adept. Get back to basics. Yeah, exactly. Silver Gill Adept, Curse Catcher, like twelve yeah. to sixteen Lords. Like, so anything outside of that is out of my wheelhouse. This is one of those cards that I, I like to just kind of sit there and be a dick with. If you're yeah. going to be playing a blue-green general that gives you access to not only Winding Counties, but Alchemist Refuge, so you always have the ability to flash in your Merfolk at an at a EOT or in somebody's yeah. upkeep to muck with the person who wants to sit there and try and hit your guys with single-target removal. It, it's it's a nice EDH pickup, and being legendary also helps it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, by, by no means would I say go super heavy into this card and pick up, you know, hundreds like yeah. I would with Sarkin's Unsealing. But, uh, you know, 20 to 30, low cost, low barrier to entry, and yep. you can just sit on it and forget it. Yeah, I, that, that's what I, I like, and I think is probably a better way to start moving in on EDH specs now, is not going super deep on these and expect huge returns, but just to kind of pick a nice number, something yep. that you don't mind holding on to and taking up space for months or years, because some of these specs do take a long time to pay off. Yeah. You know, I, I went through my spec box last week, and I found some things like that that just popped or are now on buy list for an actual amount, like uh, Baruna from Shadows of Rannistrad is now worth like 30-some cents on buy lists, up from zero. So, you know, yeah, things Was take bulk, time, they get there. Now a card. Exactly. Great. You know, and I'm, I'm honestly going to put together that buy list and out all the extra copies that I have because I don't care how much more that card goes up. I got it as close to zero. I'll take 30 cents on each one of them. Yeah, I, that that's a profit of basically 30 cents over what you pay. Exactly. And exactly. I'm... I am fine with that, and I think this is the way you got to treat these specs and a lot of VDH specs moving forward. So, I think it's yeah, for sure, a good way to go and a good note to end on. Yeah. Uh, of note, before we head out, we did pull our uh, winner for the C19 box. We have already alerted that person in our Discord, and that is Lucena the Lucid. Yes. So, thanks for tuning in, and thanks everyone that's uh, subscribed to Patreon. Yep. If you haven't yet. Uh, we're actually very close to starting to do monthly box drawings. Mm -hmm. So for as little as a dollar a month, you can start getting involved in that. So it's definitely worth looking into. Absolutely. And that uh, edges us closer to the UMA box giveaway. Mm -hmm. So every Patreon or every patron we pick up definitely brings us closer. All right, guys, I just want to thank you for tuning in. I lost Thursday at the end there. His internet went out, but you can find us at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, and that is also our Patreon and Facebook. I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter, 
and he is at Thirstly Sizzler. We'll see you next week.